Grace and peace and prayer are ours as a gift from God through Jesus Christ. And I hope you see how it's through Jesus Christ today. Amen. A woman in her mid-40s sat in her pastor's study, wringing her hands and telling about how her daughter had gotten off track, how she was no longer answering her phone calls or texts and was getting uh, wrapped up with a lot of people she shouldn't have and was saying she denied her faith. And if you looked on her social media, you could see her even making the same statements. And this is what the woman said to her pastor. She said, the, the worst part at the moment that I feel, pastor, is I can't do anything about this. You ever felt that way? For the Christian that sees someone they care about deeply who's suffering anything at all, whether it's health problems, the aftermath of an accident, or spiritual uh, being spiritually lost, and you feel like you can't do anything at all, God shouts from heaven, yes, there is something huge that you can do. You can pray for that person. Sometimes we'll say something like, well, the least I can do is pray. Well, I don't think that's really based on Scripture. It's actually one of the biggest things that we do for each other is to pray for one another. And that feeling of being helpless when you care so deeply and you're carrying a burden for another person is supposed to be alleviated by the fact that you know when you talk to God, he's listening and you can pray to him. And that's what this word from God is about. And I, if you get encouragement from it, I pray that you'll share it somehow. You'll share this service or this sermon or the online one that we've already produced with people that you know that need to hear it. Because it's, it's so important that God's people learn the peace and power of prayer. When, I was, when Mary and I were married and I had finished undergrad school, uh, we still had six years of education to go. So we had uh, I, really what I would call menial jobs as far as earning power. We're married. And in our first year, we conceived Donovan. And so by just being married just a little over a year, he was born. And now there's three of us dependents on our meager income. And we, we're in the first year and a half of a six-year stint. I called it living on student rations or peanuts to get through school. Uh, someone told me in Minnesota at, from my church, they said, have you ever heard of the WIC program? WIC, W-I-C, Women, Infant, and Children. I had never heard of it at the time. That's 30 years ago now, but I've heard of it since then. But I heard of it then, and I said, what is it? And they said, for people with small children that are needy, you can get free commodities every Tuesday. They're giving them away, and it's on 2nd Street. Well, I lived at the other end of 2nd Street. And right down there for a few months, I lived there in Mankato, Minnesota. They're giving away food and didn't know it. So I went down to the office they told me to go to, and they gave me a WIC card, right? You just show up with this because they've already interviewed you and done all their, you know, done your homework. So you just show up, stand in line, show them the WIC card. You got cheese and milk and eggs and a few other things like that. And of course, for three people, to one of them's a baby. We got a lot more cheese because they're, they're trying to get rid of some of their excess cheese, you know, so you'd get these sliced bricks of slices of cheese that long. And I was giving away cheese. I was getting to be benevolent as a poor guy going through school. But all I needed was the card. That's what I needed. This is what this card for me represents prayer. All you need is the card. You got prayer. All you need is prayer. 
You've got it. It's yours. And it was so easy with the card to get the food. It's so easy with prayer to get what God says you need. I want to tell you four things. You know there's a lot more than four, but four big things, maybe the biggest things that you get when you learn about prayer the right way. Four of them. The first one that you learn about is peace. And there's a Bible verse that's up on the screen now. If you have your Bible, it's in Paul's letter to the Philippians. You can flip there and see the section. Remember in Philippians, where is he? He's in jail in Rome under house arrest. He's waiting trial. It's scary. He's been through four years of what we'd call hell on earth. And, and he, he could say, where's God? But he didn't. He said, there's God. <laughs> and this is what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you're thankful that you have the card, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. He didn't say, and you'll get exactly what you asked for, but often you do. But he said, what I'm trying to help you with is to understand true prayer brings peace. The peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It was part of our culture. We weren't commanded to do it, but pastors, and some, many still do today. I quit doing it about 20 years ago. At the end of every sermon, they'd say, in the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons that I quit doing that was because in the scriptures, this is where you find it. It's not about the sermons we preach. It's about the prayers of God's people. And I thought, you know, I want to I talk about prayer bringing peace because God, the Holy Spirit, did. I want you to know that's really where that passage is. The peace of God that transcends all under mental understanding. You can't figure it out with your head. But the peace of God will descend on your heart when you truly give your worries to God in prayer petitions and when he says by petition sounds like a big church word what he means is talk about your your issues when you talk to God specifically list them off God I'm worried about my daughter if it was the lady I mentioned I'm worried about what she's doing I'm asking you to put a wall between her and those bad people Give her a heart for you. Help her to return to her, your word and her root. Whatever. Be specific, right? And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. One of our brothers in the faith, Connell McDonald, yesterday I was texting him. He's a member of our church in Tyler. The pastor, in, he was a member here once, but he's a member of our church in Tyler. One of the pastor there is leaving today. And I said, make sure you give your pastor a big hug before he goes back to Minnesota Connell texted me back and said, I'm in the hospital. I have chest pains. I'm spending the night here. They got it under control, they think, and I'll be doing a stress test tomorrow morning. So when we went to bed last night, I'm thinking about Connell. So I just, out of nowhere, Mary and I were just starting to climb into bed. I said, Lord Jesus, please be with Connell and put your hand on his heart and protect his life. And then we prayed four or five other petitions. And you know, one of the reasons I did that was because I know I need the peace of knowing I gave it to God for, about my brother so I can... I'm a heart patient. I've been in that hospital since my heart attack six or eight times with that overnight, checking your blood every three hours, and then you have a stress test the next morning. I am the stress test king. I can even tell them which kind I want. I'm so good at it, right? So, but I, 
just gave it to God and fell asleep. Came here to preach to you, right? Peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind when you understand to pray with thanksgiving. You've got the card. Get it out. Say the prayer. Now, sometimes we get guilt because we say, well, it didn't work because the anxiety came back. Well, since I'm such an expert patient and I take medicine and I take it every day, they make me take blood pressure medicine. I said, I didn't have high blood pressure. Doctor said, after a heart attack, we want you to idle. I don't like the next day go, well, it didn't work yesterday because they're making me take it again today. You take it every day, right? It, prayer works to give it to God and have peace. But it's like medicine. You do it every day. That same worry comes back. God's not tired. He's not worn out. He's not a person. <laughs> we get tired and worn out. You can get tired of hearing that. Say it again. Dump it again. Get your peace again. Just like you take your medicine every day. Prayer is a medicine for a stressful heart. Pray for the people in the body of Christ that you're worried about. I'm worried about the fact that only 30-something people come to church. Give it to God in prayer, right? We got another hundred probably watching online, but the prayer is the answer for my anxious heart, right? Take it every day without guilt, without shame, that you have to do it again and again. And do it with thanksgiving because he loves to hear you talk to him. Second thing is you get perspective, you get perspective. The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy, two letters that made it into the Bible, and they're toward the end of Paul's life, and Timothy was a nervous Nelly. Did you know that? In, in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, he says, take a little wine for your frequent anxieties. Because <laughs> he, had, he had that too, right? So he had physical stomach problems, right? And so Paul, Paul told him, you know, the peace of God is yours. Same thing, talks about prayer. Then he says, take a little medicine. Well, here he's telling Timothy how he wants God's people to learn to pray. Now, remember, the Roman government is totally culturally centered, ethnocentric, egocentric around the uh, emperor. And it's a very dangerous worldwide government that everybody's living under, including Paul. And they they protect the peace at all costs. So if you try to do like start a new religion was illegal and the Jews were telling the Roman government that the Christians are a new religion. And the Romans said, no, they're just an offshoot of Judaism for a while. But they were in pockets and places. They were persecuting Christians. And right after Paul, Paul was killed by a Roman emperor later. And then they really started to unleash their, their persecution on Christians. So when Paul wrote Timothy, that's the kind of government he was under. We live in a, in a land that loves to be discontented. So our peaceful government that has three forms, right? Legislative, judicial, presidential, is still, we still have tremendous amount of anxiety and aggravation. Some of you are very nervous that Trump might get reelected. Others are very nervous that he might not. What I'm telling you is God's people is have perspective, learn to pray about everything. Watch what Paul says to Timothy under government. I urge you, first of all, that... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, this is the right one. I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for people. And for kings and all those in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. 
And it pleases God, our Savior, more than you ranting about your government. What pleases him is if you pray. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. People that get all upset about politics have lost their perspective. That I'm preaching to you. You have lost your perspective. And you want to get it back through prayer. You learn to talk to God about it and dump your concerns about your country at God's feet. And ask Him to help spread the good news of the gospel more than you ask Him to protect the economy. Even if the economy is whipping you around. Go ahead and pray about your your economy, but don't do it with anxiety. Pray that God's word would spread and we'd live a peaceful and godly life and that even the king would come to faith. That's what he's saying. You get perspective. I'm going to tell you about two stories from the Bible, but there's about 20 uh, where guys did this. Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is the king that came and stole him away with his friends and 45,000 Jews and hauled him off to Babylon. And the, the, the king is troubled by a dream one night, and Daniel is in his friends, the Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're among the prime young men that they're trying to groom to be leaders of part of the leadership of the king's palace and cabinet. And so uh, he's grouped in. Daniel's grouped in with the wise men, the, the, like the ones that came to see Jesus, the, the, the astrologers and astronomers and the, the philosophers. He's grouped in with them. King has a bad dream. He says to his servant, go get all the philosophers and tell them they got to tell me what my dream was and then they got to interpret it. If they can't tell me what my dream was and they can't interpret it, cut them all into pieces and burn their houses down. Daniel found out because they came to get him to take him to put him to death because the first astrologers that brought in said, nobody's ever going to tell you what your dream was. And Daniel said, give us one day. And he went and prayed to God, and this is what he said. You raise up kings, you take them down, you created all things. I call that perspective, right? It feels like the sovereign is Nebuchadnezzar, but actually the sovereign is God. And he said, can you, God, can you just graciously give, so everybody knows you're God, can you give me the, what the dream was? And God told him, yeah, here it is. <laughs> and Daniel went in and told him the dream, told him the interpretation of the dream, and everybody's lives was saved. But what the main thing is, even though the main seals like the main thing is they were all rescued, is that I want you to see that he got perspective. When he prayed, he, he saw God was in charge of all things. Instead of be right down here. God's up in the box watching the game from the top. You're down on the field with just your little position. Second story, Acts, Peter and the boys. The Sanhedrin killed Jesus, you know, by turning him over to the Romans. Now the, now the apostles are being like Jesus. And they're in the temple courts talking about Jesus, risen from the dead. And they're healing people like Jesus. Everything he did the last week of his life, right smack dab in the temple. And they just said, arrest them all. And they arrested all the apostles and brought them in. They said, we told you to stop filling Jerusalem with this teaching. You need to quit right now. You, and, and, and if you don't, bad things are going to happen to you. And they would have killed them right then, but they, they already had blood on their hands in front of the masses of people because they killed Jesus. When they released the apostles and they went back to the church, a group of believers, the Pentecost people, you know, there's 3,000 saved and 120. They all prayed and this is what the apostles said. God of heaven, 
You made all things and you made all governments. And Herod and the Jews have conspired together like you said in Psalm 2. They would do, they would conspire against your son. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. Look on their threats and give us boldness to speak because this is your world, not theirs. Perspective, right? When you start talking to God and you're thinking it through and you're not just throwing it up there with, without faith, you're, you're, you're getting perspective. This is your world, Lord, not theirs, the people that make me nervous, right? It's not a COVID world. It's Christ's world. It's not the government of the United States world. It's Christ's world. Not China's world. It's God's world. Stop living with all that anxiety that the world without faith produces in our lives, right? Get perspective. And then thirdly, you get power when you pray. This is power to do something. Remember the lady sitting in the office with their pastor saying, I can't do anything about it? Oh, huh. You sure can when you pray. Now, this is part of the mystery. And in this point, power, and then people, the next point, we're going to pull the, talk about the mystery, but this is the mystery. But Jesus said these words, Matthew chapter 7, the great Sermon on the Mount, okay? Can you see it from the, where you sit? Read this one with me out loud into your mask, okay? It says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Give what? Good gifts, right? We all know the truth about prayers that he doesn't give you everything you ask for because he's got other people in mind that he's trying to use your life to help. He's got your growth in mind. And he's, maybe it's not really ultimately the best thing for you. But we do know this. Jesus wasn't making that point. <laughs> he was making the point that often we feel like God is ghosting us or stressed out like we are or just too busy with other people or, or he never has really blessed us like he should have because we haven't paid attention to how greatly he's blessed us. And so we just don't pray enough. And he's saying, no, wait a minute. You're sinful people. And when your baby asks for something, you try to figure out a way if you can get it for him. We saw our grandkids Friday and Saturday. One of the little grandsons, the oldest one, he's eight going on nine. He says, I want to build a shop. His dad's real handy. <laughs> We're thinking as grandparents and his parents, can we do this with him? Can we build a little shed? Call it his shop. Why? Because he's our kid, our grandson, right? It's what we do. Jesus says, you know, if they ask you for bread, you don't give them a stone. Fish, you don't give them a snake. It's going to hurt you. You've tried to figure out a way to bless them, right? Because you love your family. And he, what a genius teacher he is, right? Why is he telling this at all? So that we would believe that God wants to give us good gifts so we'd pray more because we don't pray enough. Jesus' brother James in James chapter 4 said, you have not because you ask not. And he goes, instead, you go around manipulating and trying to fight for it. But you have not because you ask not. So prayer is, prayer is learning to trust God's love and commitment to bless us and to ask him for it. And then to wait on the Lord. Right? There's power in prayer. There's things that happen. I had a pastor challenge me when I was 19, 20 years old. Write, write a list of your petitions. 
Because so often answer to that prayer, good in our estimation, it's always good from God, right? He answers that prayer with a yes, and we don't even notice. Because we're off with a new anxiety, with a new thing we're praying about. And he goes, you'll see just how faithful God is to listen to your prayers. Just list them down. I got a three-ring binder, notebook paper, number one. And I, from my prayers that night, I just started to write them down. It's about the time I started dating Mary. So she's like, yep, make that girl like me. Make her, make her say yes and all that. In the back of it, as things got answered, I would write in the back. I had about 10 sheets of paper and I'd come backwards, right? So you're coming together. And I did that for probably 185 prayers. I don't know how many days, weeks. It was about, it seemed like a month and a half or something. Like 90% were answered with yes. And they were things like, when I go on vacation with my parents, we're going to be with this family that don't really like to talk about God at all. And they're very, they're from Europe and they're very, they're very high-minded. Please help me get into a conversation about you and your son so I can witness about Jesus. And it just happened. Right? It didn't just happen. God just said yes right so why don't you do that why don't you start a list i'm your pastor telling you the same thing watch how faithful god is enjoy that encourage yourself to pray more and then it has to do with people it's certainly okay and you should talk to god about your own needs but one of the greatest signs that you are restored to God is that you're concerned about people instead of exploiting them. Instead of tolerating them, you actually are interested in their welfare and bringing them back to God and making sure their life is okay. So when you start to carry lovingly the burdens of other people, that's a sign of growth in faith. And it, and it kind of completes the triangle. God at the top, you're over here, they're over here, and there's that holy triangle. Adam and Eve perfectly taking care of each other. God walks with them in the cool of the day. They fall into sin. They go hiding and they, they are naked in front of each other. So they hide from each other. Then when God comes, they start blaming each other. Right? Sound familiar? Dog eat dog. Well, we're not dogs. We're people made in the image of God who lost it through sin. And Jesus restores us and destroys the work of the devil. And that means he makes us a blessing to other people. And one of the ways we bless them is we learn that prayer works for them. Their life is better if we pray for them. And one of the greatest saints that we've ever come in contact with at this congregation was a blind woman who sat at home in poverty for decades. And she prayed. Remember? Christy Franklin. And she would honestly tell people as they walked in the door, pastors or members that she had heard about, never seen them with their eyes, never knew what we looked like, and say, I'm praying for you. And our lives are better because of it, because she helped us in the advancement of our welfare and the gospel through her prayers. Well, Paul, I want to show you that it's in the Bible, because just because I have great stories about saints doesn't mean it's in the Bible, right? I want to show you that the Holy Spirit put it in his word that actually... Things are different for other Christians and other friends and family if we pray for them. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in his second letter to the Corinthians, first chapter. On God, we, the apostles, have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us. Paul had been through a lot. As you help us, what is the next phrase? By your prayers. 
You help us. God's going to take care of us as you help us by your prayers. Then many people will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Remember the triangle? This is the mystery. It's a mystery. Why would, how would, why would God, who's rich in grace and mercy, hold anything back until somebody else prayed for me? No, I don't know. But he does. You might make me a lot better pastor if you'd pray for me. And I might make you have a lot better life and be a lot better Christian if I pray for you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Come on. Forget your mask. Just say yes. That's amazing. It's weird. It's illogical, right? But he says, you're going to help through your prayers. God's going to bless us. And then you're going to give thanks. And you have ownership of our journey. And you're going to be a part of it, right? And you get chills sometimes thinking about how you prayed for somebody and that very thing, the good thing you were praying for, that very thing happened for them, right? And you own part of it. You don't want to take the credit, but God's talking about it right here. He's not saying take the credit, but he's saying let's all take the credit, right? Because we own each other. We love each other. We pray for each other. We build each other up in prayer. And Paul said, I'm going to be helped because you guys prayed and lots of people are going to be thankful, including me and you. Isn't that amazing? That's called community. That's called unity. That's called fellowship. That's called love. That's called brotherhood, sisterhood. It's called family. It's called the church. And it's a mystery. Now, I'm just going to throw it out there. It's a big, as big a mystery as the Trinity. How could he be three persons in one God? It's as big a mystery as six-day creation, how he could create all this in six days. It's as big as the mystery of the Noah's Ark, getting all those animals on there, flooding the whole earth, and keeping them alive for a year and ten days. That's amazing, right? The mystery of the Lord's Supper, how his body and blood are really with the bread and wine. And the mystery of baptism, how a few words in water seal the salvation of that little child or that adult. That's all a mystery, but it's all said in the word, just like this thing about prayer, that we help each other with our prayers. Did you know that it's illegal to go run up on an accident in your car and not render aid? It's a second degree felony. And I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, when you know somebody has a need, that you render aid by praying for them. You are your brother's keeper. Cain was wrong when he said, am I my brother's keeper? You pray for them. Don't rob them of the blessing that God wants to give them through the fellowship with you, with them, but give it freely and lovingly. God wants us to own each other in prayer. Jesus' brother wrote a, a book. I mentioned it earlier. I mentioned, I quoted chapter 4, but now I'm going to show you a verse from chapter 5 about rendering aid. It's a verse that kind of bothers people because there's this thing called anointing with oil in it. But actually, he's, what he's saying is give them the medicine of our day. 
they, they didn't have all the sophisticated medicines we have, but oils do work in some ways, right? And he said, he said, anoint them with oil while you pray for them. So I'll read the passage to you. It's beautiful. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. Give them medicine. And the prayer offered in faith, here's the promise, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is not saying that every sickness is because of some specific sin, but he is saying that some are. But he's saying the the point I want you to see is that he's saying that the church should in faith talk about our problems with each other and pray for each other because this thing called God and faith is real. This is what we're all about, right? Pray. Render aid. Don't don't, uh, pass it up. Um, by now, I hope the thought, it's the least I can do or there's nothing I can do, is far, far away from your heart, because that is a lie of the devil. But I would like it if one of you were to ask, where's Jesus in all this? I would like it if one of you would ask. <laughs> is he just the encourager? No, he's more than that, isn't he? He's the Savior. And Jesus talked about the Jesus factor in prayer. We talk about in sports, we'll talk about a player on a team being the X factor. Jesus is the X factor in prayer. And it's in the night before he died in John chapter 15. This is what he says. It's it's a beautiful moment with Jesus. He says to the 12 and he's talking to all Christians. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I've brought you in my confidence in the inside circle. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you and I think that being a child of God is based on our choosing, we will never feel the beauty and power of one who has been chosen. He wants wants us to have that beauty and power of one that we know he chose me and he let me in his confidence. He taught me about his grace. He taught me that he loved me, saved me, died for me. He goes, I chose you that you would go and bear fruit that would last. And look at this. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We are tempted to manipulate each other to get what we think we need and want. And that's the opposite of love. But when you're praying to God and knowing that God's taking care of everything, then you don't need to manipulate people. Then you learn to love them. That's what his brother James said later. But he says, if you ask it in what? Where's Jesus? In my name. We have no right to go to God the Father for any request without the sanctifying work of the grace of Christ. The blood of Christ covers our sins. We are completely forgiven. Otherwise, it'd be like this, right? Um, Sally, can we use the Bible study night when you were driving in the parking lot? It's 
So Sally comes running in as she'd been in a Bible study, studying the word. I mean, she's just learning to drive. Her mom's in the passenger seat. She's 15 year old, right? She steps on the gas instead of the brake in the parking lot. And she rams into my pickup truck. She comes running into the church crying. I just wrecked your truck. It's okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Don't worry about it. Be fine. You're forgiven, right? If Sally, though, had not a repentant heart, and there was not a grace of God in our lives that we could give each other, we'd still be at odds. She probably wouldn't be sitting there, and I probably wouldn't be in her life, right? But Jesus takes care of that. You can't go to the Father in heaven without Jesus taking care of your sin. Let's say it more positively. You get to go to the Father in heaven because He's taken care of your sin. You are forgiven. You are loved. And you can run into his throne room and say, I know I messed up just now, but I'm asking, help me with this other problem. And he goes, you got it. I love you. You're, you're, you're coming in whose name? Jesus, your son who covered me with his sin, with his blood over my sin. He goes, you got it. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing, right? Whatever you ask the Father in my name. Um, I was asking Tom Hepson for somebody who would break down tires for a lawnmower because they're smaller than an automobile. His shop doesn't do them. He said, yeah, t- here's a phone number. Tell, this is Dave. When I, when I called Dave, he goes, well, I work at a lawnmower shop, but I'm furloughed because of COVID. But you go to that shop and you tell them Crazy Dave sent you. That's what they call me. If you tell them Crazy Dave sent you, even though they don't feel like doing it that day, they'll do it. So I walk in with my lawnmower tires, you know, all four of them, they're stacked up. People are lined up behind me. I get to the counter like little children. I move my tires up. Crazy Dave said you would fix my lawnmower tire. Oh, if Crazy Dave said so, we'll do it. Filled it out, took my tires, fixed them. That's what Jesus meant when he said what? Pray to the Father in my name. The Father says, if Jesus is your Savior, I'll do it. Isn't that amazing? Let's make a difference. Let's stop fretting. Let's pray trusting God listens to our prayers. Let's see things happen. Let's learn to trust that they're always happening, working out for our good, even if we don't get to see it because we prayed about it. Let's be like Mary at Cana that says they have no more wine. And when Jesus rebuked her, she says, okay, do whatever he tells you because we gave it to Jesus and to the Father. Amen.